Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord. It is good to be in your presence. It is good to come together and to assemble together and to worship you and to praise you. Lord, there's a strength, there's a grace, there's an impartation that we receive when we do this, when we come together, that we can get no other way. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the supply that we receive as every joint, every one of us, bring a supply of faith and the Spirit. And we receive of that and we draw on that today. And we thank you for your word, Lord. And we praise you that, that we'll have ears to hear what you're saying today. And I pray, Lord, that we would respond from our hearts to your word today. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Go with me to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're going to start today. Hebrews 3 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness. So we'll stop right there for a minute, and I want to make some comments. So we have the, the writer of Hebrews here. He's exhorting the people. He's exhorting the Hebrew Christians. And uh, first of all, I like what he, what he starts out with this. First of all, he calls them holy brethren. And so this is not just uh, to the Hebrew Christians that he's writing. This is a letter to, the, to us, to the church, to the New Testament, to New Testament believers, right? Yeah. So he's calling you. The Word of God calls you holy brethren. And of course, that term is generic. It means sisters as well. God calls us holy. Amen. Holy brethren. And then it says, partakers of the heavenly calling. Glory to God. That's who we are. We're holy people and we're partakers of a heavenly calling. Sometimes I think we, we, don't, really, we don't really understand and see ourselves the way that God sees us as New Covenant, New Testament believers, as the people of God. That's why he says, don't be conformed to this world. We're not just mere men, as Paul says. He said, you're behaving, you're acting. In 1 Corinthians, he wrote to them, he said, you're acting like mere unchanged men. But we're holy brethren and sisters now. We're partakers of a heavenly calling. Amen. And then he points us to Jesus. He points them and us to Jesus. And he says, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession... Christ Jesus. And then, <coughs> in verse 6, he exhorts them. Look at what it says back in 6 here. He says, uh, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm 
to the end. So he exhorts them to hold fast their confidence and hold fast to the rejoicing of their hope and the rejoicing of our hope firm to the end. We talked a little bit about hope and expectation last week, about how important our expectation, that's what hope is. Hope is an expectation of good from the hand of God. And he's talking to them about holding fast and holding firm to the rejoicing of their hope. Well, if you're expecting good from the hand of God, you can rejoice, can't you? Amen. We've got a reason to do that. And he says, hold on to it firm. Why, why is he having to exhort us to do that? It's because there are circumstances, there are things that would come against us to try to get us to let go of that, right? Uh, but he says, hold fast to it firm to the end. And then he says this, uh, after, after saying that, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So I want, to, uh, I want to talk to you today about hardness of heart and about guarding ourselves to not allow our heart to be hardened. No, again, notice what he says here. He says, today, go back to verse 7 for a second, Kim. Today, if you what? If you will hear his voice. He didn't say if you can hear his voice. He said if you will hear his voice. Amen. It's sort of like what happens, you know, with, with, with couples, especially the husband. After a few years of marriage, usually the husband develops what is known as selective hearing. It's not that they can't hear. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Huh? It's not that they can't hear. It's just they, just did, they, they will not to hear. And that's the way it is with God, with us and our relationship with God. It's not a matter of not being able to hear. It's not a matter of God not speaking. It's a matter of willingness on our part. Today, if you will, hear His voice. So hearing the voice of God is more dependent on our willingness than anything else. If you're not willing, you won't hear Him. If you are willing, then you will. Amen. And then he says, so if you do, if you do hear his voice, then there's, a, there's another step here. There's a response that we have to make. Then he says, if you hear his voice, if God's speaking through his word, through a sermon, by his spirit, to your, to your heart and to your mind, then, then don't harden your heart when he speaks. Don't harden your heart. He goes on to talk about the, and we're going to explain and amplify, <coughs> expound on what that means. But let's go back to the scripture here in verse 9. Again, he's using the example of the children of Israel. He says, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts and they've not known my ways. And so... But something here made God angry. Is it possible for God to get angry? Now, thank God he's not angry all the time. Thank God we, you know, some people growing up, you thought that God was just mad all the time, that God was angry at you. And no, he's not. And thank God we found out he's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a God who's for us and not against us. But on the other side of that, there are things that we can do to make him angry. And probably the number one thing is, well, we'll see a couple here. Uh, in this passage, is hardening our heart. Hardening our heart 
can grieve the heart of God, can make him angry. All right? He says, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they've not known my ways. So again, he's using the account of the Hebrew people coming out of Egypt and their journey toward the promised land as an example to these New Testament born-again people. The people he's writing to here in Hebrews, they were Jews, but they've gotten saved. They're Hebrew Christians. Uh, They're born again just like we are. And, and, And we are in the same position, condition that they're in. And so if he's issuing a a warning to them to not harden their heart, then it's a warning that we need to heed. It's it's something that's possible that can happen to us. Amen. Amen. And and, uh, the the writer Paul in Corinthians wrote, uh, did the same thing, uh, pointed out the same thing. In 1 Corinthians 10, he, he, he starts the chapter talking about, again, about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, Drinking from the rock, you know, Moses struck the rock and water came out of the rock and they drank from that rock. And Paul points out that that rock was Christ, as a type of Christ. And so he uses the same example uh, for us and points us the same thing. He says, now all these things happened to them as examples. Everything that happened to them, especially, particularly on their, when they came out of Egypt and when they're endeavoring to head into the promised land, All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for what? For our admonition. Now, again, the Corinthians here, they were were Gentiles who had gotten saved, right? They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we can look at this account that he's talking about, and we we can learn from it. We can draw from it. Amen? And we can, we can take heed to the warning. So, so, the, so back to Hebrews. Now, the, so the writer of Hebrews, I believe it was Paul, but whoever it is, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired it. So that's what counts. It's God's Word. So the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting from Psalm 95. And so the psalmist in Psalm 95 is looking back and, and telling the people in his day, the, 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 the people of God, the people of Israel in his day, Whenever Psalm 95 was written, obviously in the Old Testament, he's pointing back to what happened to the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt. And he says, look, take heed here to what happened to them. Don't let it happen to you. Learn a lesson. And then again, in the New Testament then, the writer of Hebrews is quoting that in Psalm 95, saying, hey, uh, take this as a warning, heed this as a warning for us as New Testament believers. Amen. And so he goes on, let's, let's read on here back in Hebrews, in Hebrews 3 and verse 12, he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. He said it's possible, even as a new covenant believer, for us to develop what's called, what the Bible calls an evil. See, the Bible calls unbelief evil. You know, we, when we think of evil, we think of murder and adultery and, and lying and stealing, and certainly those things are evil, but God calls unbelief evil. Amen. Amen. All right, that, that puts a lot more folks in the category of sinner, doesn't it? All right. <laughs> Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened 
through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So again, he repeats the admonition. And it's repeated again in chapter 4 a couple of times. So about four times in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he repeats this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Amen. So it's so important that we, that we get this. Amen. If he's repeating it that many times. So again, he talks about this evil. He said, don't let, he says, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Now again, the writer of Psalm 95 is looking back to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and, and specifically, particularly the incident where they were getting ready to go into the promised land that first time. And before the 40-year period there of them wandering in the wilderness, they came out of Egypt. It's not, it's not a 40-year journey from Egypt to the promised land, I assure you. It's not that far. And so they came, across, came through the Red Sea. They, they uh, were on their way to the promised land. They get up to the edge of the promised land. You remember that, that uh, Moses uh, appointed the 12 spies to go in, right? And spy out the land. And the 12 spies went in and they came back. You know, God had said through Moses, I'm giving you this land. I'm, going to, I'm giving it to you. I'm driving out the inhabitants, giving you this land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a blessed land. You know, the rain, it drinks in the rain of heaven. You know, it's a, it's a prosperous land. It's a good land. And I'm, I'm giving it to you. And uh, so they came back and they said, yeah, it's just like, just like Moses said. It's a blessed land. Nevertheless, they said, we saw the giants there. And we can't go in. We can't overcome them. They've got iron chariots. And, and, and we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. And we can't go in. Only two of those 12, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb came back and they said, we're well able. Because God said we could. What they do? They, held, they, they continued to believe what God said. Even though they saw the giants. And the ten spies came back and they said, well, yeah, we know God said that, but, but we're not able because the giants are there. They let go of what God said. And again, it says here in Hebrews, it says an evil heart of unbelief. It it says there in in the book of Numbers in the account of this, it says the ten spies brought back an evil report, an evil report. All right. So. We've got a promised land to go into, and that's why he's writing it to us. Our promised land is the fullness of our inheritance in Christ. That's not when you die and go to heaven. It wasn't for them when they died and went to heaven. There were giants in the promised land. There's not going to be any giants or enemies in heaven. Your promised land is here. The devil's squatting on it. Amen. And, and, And just like they did... Uh, at that time, they were supposed to go in and drive the enemies out and possess their promised land. God wants you to possess everything that Jesus purchased in redemption. Amen? And so, in order to do that, though, we've got, we can't have an evil heart of unbelief like happened to them. All right? So how do we do? What can we do then to guard against this evil heart of unbelief? What can we do to, to guard against our heart getting 
hardened. Well, he tells them back in verse 13 here, if we put that one back up, Kim. In verse 13, he says, exhort one another daily. Exhort one another daily while it's called today. Stay in fellowship with people who are going to encourage you to hold fast to the promises of God. Amen? Amen? Don't hang around people that are going to, you know, fill you full of doubt and fear and unbelief. That's why we need church. That's why we need to assemble together. Amen? And then, uh, also in verse 13 here, he he, he makes this point. I'm going to spend some time here. He says, uh, exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is important to understand. So when we, when we allow sin in our lives and we don't deal with it, God, nobody's going to make it through without ever sinning. You're going to miss it. That's why, that's why God gave us 1 John 1, 9. John said, I write these things to you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we don't deal with sin in our life and we begin to justify it, we begin to say, oh, well, everybody's, you know, I'm I'm as good as anybody else. It's fine. It's no problem. And we don't deal with sin in our life. What happens is we begin to get hardened. That begins to harden us. Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 4.2, he talks about believers, people having their conscience seared as with a hot iron. In other, in other words, there are, are your, your conscience, which if you're born again, your conscience is the voice of your spirit. And, and if you allow your conscience to get seared or to get calloused, then all of, you know, that your, your conscience is what will rise up in you when you're about to make a decision you know, between right and wrong, and your conscience will rise up and say, you know that's wrong, don't do it. You know that's wrong, don't say that. You know that's wrong, don't talk about that person. You know that's wrong, don't hold that unforgiveness. But, but you push that down, you violate, you say, well, I, yeah, but I don't feel like forgiving them right now. Yeah, but I don't feel like doing the right thing right now. You push that down, your conscience becomes seared. And it's the same as what we started out with here in Hebrews 3, 7, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your heart. I would encourage you, if you're taking any notes, if you, get, if you take anything away today, write this down. This is what, this is what came to me the, as, I was just, as I was reading through my Bible uh, last year, toward the end of the year. I was in, in the book of Hebrews, and I was reading through this passage. I, I wrote this down. Hardness of heart comes when we are presented with truth, but we choose not to obey or conform our lives to that truth. Whatever Bible truth that it is, you're presented with a truth from the Word of God, and you make a decision, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I'm not going to do it right now, or I just can't right now, or my circumstances right now, when we're presented with truth from the Word of God and we make a decision, we choose not to obey that truth 
and conform our lives to that truth, that's when hardening of the heart starts. That's when hardness of the heart comes in. And we see also through this, through what he's talking about here, that hardness of heart will keep our faith from working. You cannot walk, we cannot walk in effective faith with a hard heart, with hardness of heart. If our heart is hard, we won't be quick to respond, to say yes when God speaks. Why? Because we've already told him no before. And yeah, he'll keep working with us. And, and hardness of heart, I don't think it's some instant thing. It's more of a process. But, but you don't want to go down that road. Amen. Amen? And as we keep reading about the, 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 uh, uh, the, the Hebrews as they came out of Egypt, in verse 19 of Hebrews 3, it says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Why? Why? why so what was the connection there? Well, it said that you know, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Well, they heard his voice. The, 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 the ten spies heard his voice just like Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, when they heard his voice, they said, we're well able, the Lord is with us. God's promised it. God said he'd drive, drive out the enemies. The others, the ten spies said, yeah, but the enemies are too big. We can't do it. And they came back and they brought that evil report back and the whole congregation decided to side in with the ten. Right? The majority's not always right, folks. Amen. Well, you know, everybody's saying it, so it must be. No, <laughs> not necessarily. Amen. And, they, and, and so when they did that, when they chose that, then hardness of heart began to set in. God says, God says we can go, but we say, no, we can't. What are you doing? You're being presented with a truth from the Word of God, but you're choosing not to accept it, not to believe it, not to act on it. And they did that, and it says they could not enter in then because of unbelief. So hardness of heart will keep your faith from working. And then he goes on into chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, talking about for us, we can enter into the rest. The rest of faith is where we understand that Jesus has already done it, Jesus has already paid for it. It's done. I can rest. It's mine. I'm not trying to get it. He already purchased it. I love the, 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 the wonderful, you know, Dad Hagen taught uh, so many great things, not only from the scriptures, but from his personal experiences and his personal examples. And, and of course, he was born with a deformed heart. And I'm talking about Kenneth E. Hagen, Kenneth Hagen Sr., uh, but uh, he was born with a deformed heart and uh, uh, incurable blood disease, and, and uh, he almost died at age 16, uh, got saved uh, after, after descending down into hell three times. I realized I'm a church member, but I've never called on the name of Jesus. And, and, and while he's in that pit, he called on the name of the Lord, and he said something, he said, like, it sucked me out of that pit. I'm calling on the name of Jesus. I came back into my body and my, uh, my, my body, my voice, picked up the prayer that I was praying already and uh, got saved. Then about a year later, he's still bedfast and uh, started reading the Bible. He said, I was a Baptist boy reading Grandma's Methodist Bible and um, re read the scriptures and found out that, that, that healing belonged to him, that it could be healed. And, and he received his healing and uh, rose up off that, off that deathbed. 
and began to go preach. Praise God. He said, Lord, if you'll get me up off this bed, I'll go preach. Hallelujah. And he did. Uh, you're talking about when he right after he got right after he got healed, he went to the went to the street corner there in McKinney, Texas, and only weighed 89 pounds. You know, just shriveled away. He was almost six feet tall, but only weighed 89 pounds at the time. And he got out there with his New Testament with tears streaming down his face and began to preach. Hallelujah. And, uh, but anyway, he, had, of course, got healed, fully healed, and, and, uh, and began to preach. And, and, and sometime later, some years later, uh, was attacked with those same symptoms. Heart not beating right. And uh, the devil said to him, you're not going to get your healing this time. This is one time you're not going to get it. And he said he was staying in the parsonage with the pastor, ministering somewhere. They were, he was in the bedroom, so he didn't want to disturb them. He, he said, I put, my, I put, my, put the covers up over my head. It was in the middle of the night. He put, I put the covers up over my head, and I just began to laugh. Ha, ha, ha. He said, I didn't feel like laughing, but I began to laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha, ha. After a while, it said the devil said, well, wait a minute, what are you laughing at? Ha, ha, ha. Oh, he said, I'm laughing at you, Mr. Devil. You're laughing at me, why? He said, because you said I'm not going to get my healing. He said, that's right, you're not going to get your healing this time. He said, Mr. Devil, I don't have to get my healing. I've already got it. Jesus already got it. Jesus already purchased it for me. I don't have to get it. It's mine already. Ha, 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 ha. He said, you said, you never seen anybody move so fast. The devil took all of his symptoms and gathered them up and got out of there. Amen. Amen. We don't have to get it. We've already got it. There's a rest. It's mine. It's done. That's how I, I was wondering where I was going to get back to, but here's where <laughs> we're talking about. Were you wondering about that? All right. I remembered, though. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Well, wh- wh- how would that happen? Verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. They didn't go in the promised land. Not why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So for the gospel, for the word of God to profit us, what we got to do? We've got to mix faith with it. We've got to accept it. We've got to believe it. We've got to receive it and act on it. That's mixing faith with it. Amen? Hallelujah. And hardness of heart will prevent us from doing that. That's my point. So, again, so what hardens our heart? Well, again, when when God speaks to us to lead us, to get us to move in faith, and especially... To correct, you know the word of God is correction, right? Yeah. Let read Second Timothy three. He said, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness." Amen. So a lot of it is correction. Yeah. Amen. So when God speaks to us to lead us, to guide us, to get us to step out in faith, or to correct us and we say no, then our hearts begin to harden. Unforgiveness will harden your heart. I'm glad I got... I didn't didn't gauge any amens on that one. Must be hitting home here today. Unforgiveness will harden our heart. 
That's why Jesus mentioned it first and foremost when he's talking about faith. In Mark 11, have faith in God, whosoever shall say to the mountain. Therefore, when you stand, pray, or, or, or therefore, what things ever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. And then he says this in verse 25, and remember, who was it talked about conjunction? Curtis, last Sunday, talked about conjunction, junction. Here's conjunction, and. And, and, and what does that do? It, it, it's a connecting car. It connects what he said in verse 24. In 23, you'll have whatever you say. Whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive it and you'll have it. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, what? Think about it. Well, I'll pray about forgiveness. No. That's one thing you don't have to... I could save you some, some, some time praying. For, you don't have to pray about this. Just do it. You don't have to pray about whether you should forgive. Just do it. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. That's why Jesus mentioned it as first and foremost in regard to faith and your faith working because unforgiveness leads to hardness of heart and that will absolutely short-circuit our faith from working. Amen. We, we see hard-heartedness not only in our vertical relationship, our relationship with God, but horizontally in our relationships with each other, our, our relationships with family, in marriage, and in relationships with others. Colossians 3.19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. The New Living Translation says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. So harshness, bitterness is a sign and a symptom of a heart that's getting hardened. Again, I don't hear any amens this morning, so it must be hitting the target today. All right. See, and, and don't tell me, don't tell me that you can maintain a heart toward God that is tender and right if your heart is hard toward other people, particularly family. Hallelujah. Ephesians 4.31. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let what? All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. What's the next word? Tenderhearted. Tenderhearted. Well, that sounds to me like the opposite of hardhearted. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, God calls us to be tender-hearted in our relationships with one another. Amen? Let all bitterness, get rid of it. Let all bitterness be put away from you. All wrath, all anger, all evil speaking, all malice, and be kind Hallelujah. Kindness, tenderheartedness. That's what we're called to as New Testament believers. Amen. Praise God. Jesus points out in Matthew 19 that hardness of heart is the number one cause for divorce. See, the Pharisees, the Pharisees came to him and they said, uh, 
Jesus, we want to, and, and they were doing it to try to trap him and, and, and trip him up and, and, get a re, and, and find out a reason they could accuse him. And also they were looking for a loophole. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And, uh, and, and they were looking at, and they were trying to find those loopholes where they would say, oh, well, I'm not happy with her anymore. I think I'll divorce her. And so Jesus uh, said, you know, he said, you know, you need to go back to the beginning. And, the, and, the, and, he, and he said the way that God started it out at the beginning, he said he made them male and female. And he said, what, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And then he says this in verse 8. He said to them, Moses, because of what? Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. He said, yeah, there's a concession in the law for divorce, but it's only in there because you're so hard-hearted. See, if we would not allow hardness of heart, then the divorce issue would be, would be solved. It would be non-existent within the church. If, if husband and wife, if two born-again people walked in the love of God and yielded to the love of God. I know that's a challenge. I know that's a challenge. And it's easy to say and it's much harder to do. But it's possible. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. And hardness of heart. Hardness of heart will cause us to focus on religious ritual rather than doing the works of Jesus. That's worth writing down too, I would say. Hardness of heart will cause us to focus on religious ritual rather than doing the works of Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand, so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. What were the Pharisees focused on? They were focused on religious ritual. We're going to see if Jesus breaks the Sabbath. And we're going to have something to nail him with. We're going to have something to accuse him with. We're going to have something to, to pin on him and say he's guilty. He's breaking the law. And they knew there's that man that needs help. There's that man that has that withered. They couldn't care less about him. They didn't care about that man. They didn't care about seeing him helped. They just wanted to make sure that, you know, that, that the religious ritual was going to be kept. That Jesus was not going to break. In fact, they, they were warning him. Actually, they were warning him too so, because they wanted to accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? What's healing? Healing is doing good. Jesus is getting ready to heal the guy. And he says, is it lawful to do good? That's why Peter said he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around them with anger, again, there's, there's, there's a few things that can make God angry. Hardness of hearts right up there at the top of the list, I believe. When he looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. See, if we keep our hearts tender, if we keep our hearts right, 
before God, then we'll be focused on doing the works of Jesus and not on religious ritual. Amen? We t- you know, we talk about things that, you know, sin hardens our heart. and We, we talk about, again, murder, adultery, lying, stealing. But a religious spirit is just as evil. Amen. Are you there? Hallelujah. And, uh, and then we see Jesus, after his resurrection, Jesus rebukes his own disciples for their hardness of heart. Look at this. Mark chapter 16. And Clint, if you would come on back up and begin to play, that'd be, be great. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 14. It says, later, this is after his resurrection, later he appeared to the eleven and as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and what? Notice, notice the link together. Notice what's grouped together there, unbelief and hardness of heart. Unbelief and hardness of heart. He rebuked their unbelief and, the, and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. The women came, we've seen the Lord, he's alive. Ah, oh, we don't believe that. Well, Jesus heard that and he didn't forget that. And he says, okay, now he sits down with them and they said, oh, great, the Lord's here. He says, by the way, I've got something I need to bring up to you. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and for the hardness of heart. He, he, we also see him doing it uh, when he appears to the two disciples on the day of his resurrection that evening as they're, as they're walking on the road to Emmaus. In Luke 24, verse 25, then he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and he doesn't use hardness of heart, but same thing here. Foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Slow of heart to believe. We need to be quick of heart to believe. They were slow of heart to believe. I'm not saying be gullible, but look at what he says here. Foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. That's the word of God. Jesus is talking about the Word. We need to be quick to believe the Word. We need to be quick to believe God's Word. Yes, we're to judge prophecy, prophetic utterances, and things like that, certainly. We're to, we're, we're to, we're to use judgment and discernment there, but we're to, we're to be quick to believe the Word of God. Amen. You know, the parable of the sower, you know, that, that parable... The variable in the parable of the sower is what? It's the ground, isn't it? Sower sowing the seed. The seed is what? The Word of God. That's, not, that's constant. That's, that's consistent. But the variable in the parable of the sower is the ground. And the ground represents what? Represents the human heart, doesn't it? We have the seed that was sown by the wayside. That's the path. That's where people have been walking. And of course, the, the ground is hard there because it's been packed down because that's where people are walking. Some seed inadvertently fell there. But what happened? It says the birds came immediately, ate that seed. It just became bird seed. It didn't, didn't get down, even get down into the ground. That's the condition of some people's hearts. The word of God spoken. They don't even have, as Jesus said, they don't even have ears to hear. They have ears, all right. Outwardly, but they can't hear. Their hearts gotten so hardened. And then he talks about the, the next was the stony ground, which, you know, there, there's some potential there, but there's a lot of rocks in there that, that need to be dug out and, and, and removed. And because that's not done, there's no depth of earth. The seed springs up all right, but then it withers. And then, and then we've got the, 
uh, seed that was sown in where there's weeds and thorns, and that doesn't produce anything. But then he talks about the last one, the good ground. He says in Luke 8, 15, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a, a noble and good heart. I believe we could say, equate that with a tender heart and not a hard heart, don't you? Having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. I like the way that God's word says it. The seeds that were planted on good ground are people who also heard the word, but they keep it in their good and honest hearts. And I love this. And produce what is good despite what life may bring. Whoo! Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to produce for the Word of God to produce fruit in your life despite what life may bring? Amen. Don't let the... You see this all the time. I've seen it through the years. I know you have too. You've seen people who the circumstances of life have just hardened their hearts. Have you seen that? Maybe you experienced it in your own life that, 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 that you just went through traumatic things and difficult things and hard things and, and, the, and the circumstances of life just harden your heart. That doesn't have to happen. You don't have to let that happen to you. Amen? So let me just, let me just uh, make sure we're getting it today. So, so in order to not let your heart get hardened, refuse, refuse to harbor or entertain sin, bitterness, and unforgiveness in your heart. Refuse to entertain it. Refuse to harbor it. Be quick to respond when God speaks to you, to lead you, to correct you, or to get you to step out in faith. Be quick to respond to that. Uh, One more example from Brother Hagin. He talked about a lady came up to him after a service one time and asked him, she said, Brother Hagin, I've got a question for you. He said, all right. She said, now, she said, Mama's family... My mother and her siblings, her family, my sisters and brothers, my siblings. Now, we've been in this church for years, and, and we work in this church, and there's nobody more dedicated to the church than, than our family, our side of the family. We're always here. We're always helping. We're always involved. And, and uh, she said, uh, you know, if, if, if anybody in my family has ever gotten healed, I don't know it. She said, we always end up having to go to the doctor, go to the hospital, get operated on. But now you take my... He, he said, well, well she's, he said, well, you've not, you've not asked me anything. You've told me something. She said, well, I'll get to it. And uh, she said, now you take my husband's family, his side of the family. I mean, you know, they're saved all right, but, you know, as far as supporting the church and being faithful and all of that, they're kind of in and out and, and uh, you know, they're here, they're up and down and, and uh, here sometimes and other times not. But, but, you know, when they do get in church, they're the, they get healed. They, they've, they've had so many healings and miracles. I, I don't understand it. And again, he said, well, sister, you've not asked me anything. You've told me something. She said, okay, here's my question. How come? How come? And Brother Hagin said this. He said, well, 
without knowing, I don't know your, 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 your mother's family, I don't know your husband's family personally, without knowing, I would say, I would observe this, I would say this. I would say that your husband's family is quick to repent and to forgive, and they're quick to believe God. She said, you've hit the nail on the head. She said, that's exactly right. She said, you know, Mama, our family, we know eventually we'll have to forgive, all right, but we hold some grudges. We know the Bible says to forgive, so eventually we know we have to do that, but we've been known to hold grudges. And now you t- she said, but, but you're right. She said, my husband's family, now they, you know, they're not always faithful, but man, they can, when they do get in church, they repent the quickest. They forgive the quickest. They don't hold grudges. They forgive the quickest, and they're the quickest to believe God of anybody that I've ever seen. And he said, well, there's your answer right there. And that's our answer. That's our answer this morning. Be quick. Be quick to repent when you miss it. Be quick to forgive when you've been hurt or offended. And be quick to believe God. Hallelujah. And that's how you'll stay free from a hard heart. That's how our hearts will stay tender. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's stand up and um, I ask Clint to, to do this song and uh, make sure his volume's up good there, Mike. And uh, uh, let's sing. Let's sing this song. Thank you, Jesus. Sing, uh, what gonna... can be done for an old oh, thank you, Jesus. Like yes. With oil and wine. Thank you, Lord. Lord the oil is you. Thank you, Jesus. Your spirit of love. Please wash me anew. Thank you, Lord. In the wine of your blood. We're going to sing that again in just a moment. I love that's an old Keith Green song. And as I was studying yesterday, getting this message ready, I kept, kept hearing that song, and I appreciate Clint picking it up and singing it for us today. And we believe in, in making a positive confession, don't we? Absolutely. We believe in speaking the Word of God, speaking positively. But there's also a time and a place for confessing our, where we've missed it. And that's what this song is doing. And it's right to do that. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. 
And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Wash me anew in the wine of your blood. So I want to I exhort you right now just to do business with God. If you want to come up to the altar, if you want to come and pray around the altar, then you can do that. If you want to do it in your seat, if you want to kneel at your seat, however, that doesn't, your posture doesn't matter. But what matters is let the Holy Spirit work on your heart today. I, I, I truly know that he, that he put this word in my heart last year to share here at the beginning of the year. I know we need this today. I know we need to act on this today. Let's move forward in 2023 with, without any hardness of heart. If you need to forgive somebody, forgive them. Let it go. If you've got bitterness that you've built up, let it go. Let it, I, I, lived, I lived a long time with bitterness in my heart un, un, this, because of some... some expectations, unrealistic, just a lot of different things. And I just allowed bitterness to build up. And God finally showed that to me. It's been several years ago. And he showed that to me. And he dealt with me with that. And, and oh, the, the, it, didn't, it didn't take six months to get free from it. I mean, I mean, I mean instantly. I mean instantly. If you'll let it go, he can, he can wash it out. Thank you, Jesus. My eyes are dry. What's the words again? My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be. How many want to be alive to God? See, that is, see, that's the great thing. We're to be, in Romans 6, Paul says we're to be dead to sin, but alive to God. It's not just dead to sin, but alive to God. Oh, let's live alive to God in 2023. Alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up. He will. He will if you ask him. Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Wash me anew in the wine of your blood. Hallelujah. Let's sing it a little bit more and just do business with the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus.
Spirit of love, please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that we can live tender-hearted. Thank you, Lord, that we can live tender-hearted. Mm, hearing your voice clearly. Walking in sweet fellowship with you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We choose, Lord, when we... When we hear your word, when we hear your truth, when we're confronted with your truth, Lord, we'll not say no to it. We'll say yes. We'll say yes. We'll conform our lives to it. Whether it's convenient or not, we'll say yes. Whether we feel justified in holding on to whatever it is we're holding on to, we'll let it go. and We'll say yes to you. We'll say yes to your will and to your way. Thank you, Jesus. We used to sing an old song, Yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. That's it. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. 
when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart I 